This is episode 10 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture. Welcome to episode 10 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, we sit down with George Weigel, the distinguished senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and one of our permanent research fellows at the Center for Ethics and Culture. We talk about several of his books, including his most recent, Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II, 2004's Letters to a Young Catholic, and his wonderful Lenten Vedi Mecum from 2013, Roman Pilgrimage, The Station Churches. Let's head into the Maritan Library for this week's Conversation. I'm here today with George Weigel. George Weigel is a distinguished senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., where he holds the William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies and a permanent research fellow at the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture. He is the author or editor of more than 20 books, including the two-part biography of Pope St. John Paul II, Witness to Hope and The End in the Beginning, and the recently published memoir, Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II. His essays, op-ed columns, and reviews appear regularly in major opinion journals and newspapers across the United States, and his weekly column, The Catholic Difference, is syndicated in 60 newspapers. A frequent guest on television and radio, he is also the Vatican analyst for NBC News. George Weigel, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here. Thank you. So let's talk about Lessons in Hope, your your latest book, which provides a memoir, kind of reflection upon the work that you do you did for many years, what, 20, 25 years with St. John Paul II? It's a book I actually never expected to write. Um, I had been telling stories about John Paul II for many years, uh, stories that grew out of uh, these two volumes of, of biography. Uh, But I never thought of collecting them together in a memoir until the second volume, The End and the Beginning, came out. And I discovered when I was going around the world uh, discussing that book that what people really wanted were stories. They they wanted stories that would make him feel somewhat closer. He had been dead for five years at that point. And it struck me that those – that instinct for wanting a story – uh, was similar to the instinct that produced the medieval lives of the saints. So this is another way of telling his story and my story. Uh, and I hope it's a book that gives people a little more insight into the humanity of the man, uh, his sense of humor, uh, his way of conversation, uh, than was possible when you're writing 1,500 pages of scholarly <laughs> biography with 200 pages of end notes. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that it, the chapters here in Lessons in Hope are very short. They're, they're quite, uh, you know, 
quite kind of episodic. It's an anecdotal book. It's a book of anecdotes that are strung together thematically uh, throughout the book. Um, uh, and uh, the book also tells my story in a way that I've never done before because um, I came to see aspects of my life that I might have previously considered random or happenstantial or circumstantial or yeah. uh, whatever as as providential uh, preparations for taking on the job of uh, becoming the biographer of the man I think of as the emblematic figure of the second half of the 20th century and the most important pope uh, since the Reformation. Uh, so I learned to look at my life in a different way through the prism of his life. Yeah. Well, there is a chapter in the book entitled Under the Golden Dome, where you relate a story set right here at Notre Dame, where you saw the John Paul II effect, as you call it, uh, in real life. Walk us through that story. Yeah, I had been in uh, – somebody here had the idea that Father McBrien, who was still in the theology department, although I don't think he was the chairman any longer at that point, and I should have a debate about John Paul II. And uh, I, I thought that might be fun. Uh, Father McBrien did want to have a debate. He just wanted to have a kind of exchange of views, yeah. uh, which we did um, in the auditorium in, in the Hesburgh Library with Father Ted in the front row. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then all the questions from the rather overflow audience came to me. Uh, which got a bit embarrassing, and I would yeah. toss a question over to Father McBrien occasionally. Uh, I think what all of that evening demonstrated was that um, the uh, the kids who had come here in those days, this is early in the new century, had been inspired to take theology seriously, to take Catholicism seriously, by by the all-in Catholicism of, of John Paul II. They mm -hmm. were not interested in Catholic light. Uh, they were interested in the whole package. And, and if I uh, had managed to convey the whole package to them somehow through witness to hope, then I was happy to have been able uh, to do that. Uh, it was actually the last time I saw Father McBrien. We had some email correspondence in the years uh, afterwards. But um, it was an instructive moment. I think it demonstrated some things had changed here at Notre Dame and some mm -hmm. things had changed in the general correlation of forces in the Catholic world as a whole. Yeah. Well, in addition to writing about St. John Paul II, you've written about uh, Pope Benedict XVI, God's choice. Uh, you've written about reform in the uh, contemporary church with evangelical Catholic. You also penned Letters to a Young Catholic, which is kind of uh, described by some as a reflection on your own journeys and their spiritual significance. Um, I would describe it differently. This is another book uh, that I, I didn't intend to write. Uh, Basic Books, which has been my major publisher for some time, had a series in the early part of the uh, new century called Letters to a Young blank. Mm -hmm. Letters to a young lawyer, letters to a young doctor, letters to a young golfer, <laughs> letters to a young chef, whatever. Yeah. These were kind of vocational uh, descriptions, people describing what this vocation is like. And the publisher of Basic Books then, a wonderful uh, woman and a great friend named Liz McGuire, 
uh, with whom I had done the book, The Courage to be Catholic, about the sex abuse crisis, uh, said to me, you've got to do letters to a young Catholic. And I said, I don't want to do letters to a young Catholic. I had just done a book of popular apologetics called The Truth of Catholicism. But Liz was nothing if not persistent. Uh, and after getting considerable barbecue and bourbon into me on several occasions, <laughs> she, I said, look, Liz, if I can come up with a way to do this that gets me interested in it, I'll, I'll do it. But I'm not going to do it just to do it because it will be a bad book. And I was on a flight from Washington to Los Angeles and somewhere over flyover country, hmm. uh, the idea came into my head, do this as a tour. Do this as a tour of the Catholic world to significant places in the Catholic world uh, on which you could hang a presentation of some item in the creed hmm. or some facet of Catholic belief or practice. By the time we landed at LAX, I had the whole book outlined, you know, 15 tour stops, uh, 15 themes. And I had great fun writing it. It was, it was a wonderful way to get into an explication of the faith. And then uh, a second edition, a second revised and expanded edition of that book came out about three years ago in which I added five new tours, five new stops to the tour. Yeah. Uh, so it's now a 20-stop tour through the obvious places, St. Peter's Basilica, uh, the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in, in, in Mexico City, and some not-so-obvious places. Uh, Castle Howard in Yorkshire, where Brideshead Revisited was filmed. Of course. Uh, Chesterton's Pub in London. Uh, Newman's Oratory in, uh, in Birmingham. Uh, and Maximilian Kolbe's uh, death cell at mm -hmm. uh, the Auschwitz concentration camp. Um, I, it's probably one of my favorites of, of all of my books. And um, uh, it's, it's an invitation to learn Catholicism experientially as well as intellectually. I want to take an aside and let you know that when I was a novice Dominican, so before I came uh, to, to get to know the Holy Cross community at University of Portland stuff, I spent time in the Dominicans. My name was Brother Maximilian Mary. Mm. And as a novice, I read Witness to Hope. So I was a no. novice 99 to 2000, yeah, 8000, yeah. 2000. And the chapter on St. Maximilian and the drama on what color the Holy Father would come out in at his mass in red or white. Would he be considered a martyr? Um, that chapter has stuck in my brain for coming up on, on you know, 17, 18 years now. Um, and I think particularly because, so as you mentioned, you know, St. Maximilian is one of these saints that, that I know the Holy Father John Paul II really held up as, as uh, uh, the martyr of charity, you know, is his title. I think he saw Colbe uh, in, in a somewhat similar way to the way he saw St. Uh, Teresa Benedict of the Cross, Edith Stein. Uh, these were, for John Paul II, emblematic figures of the 20th century in different ways, to be sure. Uh, with Colbe, I think it was the, the sacrificial character of the priesthood. Uh, the priest not only offers the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the priest is himself a living sacrifice, mm -hmm. uh, or in the case of Kolbe, a dying sacrifice. Right. 
And that uh, heroic concept of the priesthood uh, is one that John Paul lifted up throughout his whole, uh, throughout his whole uh, uh, time as Bishop of Rome. One of your other books that uh, really is quite lovely is uh, Roman Pilgrimage, which is a beautiful volume of reflections on the Roman stational churches. I'm co-authored with yet another of our permanent research fellows here at the center, Liz Lev. Um, tell us about the stational churches and, and about your experience writing the book. The Lenten station church pilgrimage through Rome, uh, in which the pilgrim follows a, a fixed schedule of uh, visitations to a different church each day during uh, Lent and Easter week goes back to the 5th and 6th century. It's very ancient Christian tradition in Rome uh, that used to involve the Pope leading a procession through the city to the stational church of the day uh, every day during Lent. This custom has been revived in the late 20th century and early 21st century by the American Seminary in Rome, the Pontifical North American College, so that on any Lenten day now, beginning on Ash Wednesday, you will find uh, 250 seminarians, but also another 150 Anglophones, English speakers, from the American universities in Rome, from the diplomatic corps, from Americans working in the Vatican, uh, reliving this uh, ancient tradition by walking to the Station Church of the day uh, and celebrating uh, Mass there at uh, 7.30, 7 o'clock in the, uh, in the morning. Uh, it's a wonderful way to learn Rome. Some of these Station Churches are really off the beaten path, and you wouldn't normally uh, visit them. Uh, some of them are only open for the stational mass, so there's a way to get into places you ordinarily wouldn't uh, get to. Uh, the book uh, is an invitation to do Rome at home. Mm-hmm. It's, um, uh, it allows people to participate in the stational pilgrimage uh, by visiting the churches through my son Stephen's photographs and Liz Lev's description of the art and architecture of the church and through my commentary on the liturgical texts of the day, the mass readings and the, and the uh, readings and the, and the office of readings and, and the liturgy of the hours. Uh, it's also good if you're going to Rome. Right. Uh, and in either case, I, I really do recommend to people uh, the electronic version of the book uh, because all of the photographs uh, in the electronic version are in color. And they have a zoom function on them. You can see the extraordinary granularity of some of the some of this art. You can actually see individual pieces of mosaic on some of the wow. some of the photographs. So the ebook is, uh, to my mind, the preferred uh, version of Roman pilgrimage, the Station Churches. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. I, you know, my son and I lived at the North American College for two for the whole two months of Lent uh, while we were doing this. Um, and it was it was great it was a great spiritual experience for me because if you're writing a fifteen hundred word uh, two thousand word commentary on those liturgical texts every day for two months you're really digging into to know those the, the material of Lent in, in a way that I'd never had the opportunity to do before. Do you think there's a significance that it's the 
Americans that restarted this this ancient yeah, tradition? Yeah, I, I do. I want uh, at the time that Stephen and I, my son Stephen and I, were doing this with Liz in 2011, one of the regulars at the Station Church Mass was the Polish ambassador to the Holy See, uh, a good friend of mine, Hanna Suchotska, who had been the prime minister of Poland and the justice minister of Poland, very distinguished lady. And I asked her once why she came at 7 o'clock in the morning to the Anglophone Stational Church Mass rather than to the Stational Church Mass that is sponsored by the Vicariate of Rome, the Diocese of Rome, usually at 5 or 6 o'clock at night in the same church. And she said, because I found a living church at the Anglophone Mass. Wow. I found a living church at the American Mass. And that, unfortunately, is true. I mean, the year we did this, 2011, on the Friday of uh, Friday after Ash Wednesday, uh, we had probably had 300, 350 people in the Basilica of Saints John and Paul, which is the stational church for that day, on the Chilean Hill. My son was not satisfied with the photography he had done in the morning, so he and I walked back up there in the afternoon to to reshoot some of the pictures. And we we overran the Vicariate of Rome, the Diocese of Rome's stational mass at, at 5.30. They had, I think, 20 people there. Oh, wow. Of whom nine were concelebrants. We had 350 people of whom 50 were concelebrants. Yeah. So Hannah was right. I mean, there is a living church uh, in the Eternal City, um, but it tends not to be local. It tends to be people who are there for different reasons than the fact that they live there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them young people who are... Yeah, sure, because you've got, you know, the Notre Dame kids come, the Christendom College kids come, the University of Dallas kids come, uh, in addition to all of these the seminarians. Yeah. Well, George Weigel... Thank you very much for being with us today, and thank you for coming to speak about your books. And people can get these all on Kindle and get them through uh, Amazon. You can even buy real books. (laughs) Physical books. uh, Physical books. Imagine that. Well, thank you for coming to be with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you to George Weigel. His book, Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II, is available now wherever fine books are sold. Learn more about this book, as well as the others we chatted about, in the show notes. You can learn more about the Center for Ethics and Culture by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast, which is released every other Thursday during the academic year, by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We'd love your feedback. Contact the show by emailing cecpodcast at nd.edu. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. Our theme music is I Dunno by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions.